everybody, how we doing today? Welcome back to the Mind Body Hoops podcast. My name is Max McCoy. This is one of, again, my favorite episodes. I say this every time, and I think that's just a testament that I absolutely love doing this podcast. But today I'm joined by a legend, Tony Riddle, aka the natural lifestylist, aka a rewilding coach. Tony talks to us about how we can better kind of return to our biological norms as humans. Biological norms meaning like the things we were meant to do, the way we were supposed to move, the way we were supposed to think, things like that. Like we're ancient humans, we're ancient animals, and the, a lot of the things that we do on a day-to-day basis that we call quote-unquote normal is actually pretty detrimental to our health, our movement, our athleticism, our cognitive ability, the whole works. And uh, Tony kind of specializes in this arena in terms of helping people from billionaires to kids, helping them rewild, helping them become natural again. One of his coined phrases is, and we talk about it on the podcast, we all can't live in nature, but we can learn to live naturally. And that's kind of what this whole podcast is about. I've been following Tony, his work uh, online, all that good stuff for over a year now, probably two years. And so much of what he puts out and his message and his teachings, I've already implemented. And they not only are like little things I've implemented, they're things that you guys see me post about on Mind Body Hoops all the time. It's like things like barefoot or trying to avoid chairs or avoiding, you know, blue light screens and wearing blue light blocker glasses and, and optimizing your sleep, your diet, your movement, everything. Like so much that I learned from Tony. I regurgitate and send back to you guys. So this is a really cool episode where I'm able to sit down with this legend that I've been learning from for so long and speak to the source and get you guys to learn with me uh, and just talk to him about kind of his message, what he does, and, and how we can apply what he does. So to preface this conversation, I met up with Tony. He was in LA. Tony's from London, but luckily I got to catch him when he was visiting uh, California. So I met up with him in Venice, California. We sat on the floor during this whole podcast, which is just makes me so happy. Like, screw chairs. Chairs are bad for you. <laughs> You'll learn why. But this was the first time I got to sit on the floor and do a podcast, which was dope. Um, more prefacing. There was chickens in the background for some reason. And so in the beginning of the conversations, you're going to hear chickens, um, which again, just makes me so happy. And then for some reason, uh, we have two mics going, you know, he had a mic, I had a mic. And then my, my audio file, I was, as I was uploading it just completely went wonkers and it failed. So Tony's audio quality is amazing, which all, which is all that matters. And my audio quality kind of was screwed up and I wasn't able to use the mic that I recorded on. Um, so just some technical difficulties. So my voice on this podcast sounds kind of weird because it's taken from his mic. So again, just a little preface, like don't judge. My voice sounds weird. I had to change all the audio levels and shit, but Tony's voice sounds great. That's all that matters. This podcast is about celebrating Tony and how amazing he is. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Again, one of my favorites, all about rewilding, coming back to our natural state as humans so that we can perform at our best. Um, and, And yeah, enjoy. If you guys haven't already, please leave me a review on the Apple iTunes app. Um, those reviews really go a long way. I'm doing this shit for free for now. So it means the world to me when you can show your support. Um, and if you like the podcast or anything, if you like what I do, just send me a wink on there, you know, send a comment, give me a five stars. That helps me get more guests like Tony. Uh, I've been talking for too long, so I'll stop. I love you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Thanks for all the messages that you guys send me. 
Um, and thanks again to Tony. This was a dope one. So without further ado, enjoy this conversation with the natural lifestylist, Tony Riddle. I'm excited. I've been following you on the journey for uh, over a year now. And uh, what you do is very different, but it's something that's called me. So I'm excited to talk to you. Cool, man. Good to be on the show, Max. Yeah, lovely. So I want to start off in the most dramatic sense possible to catch people's eyes. You are doing one of the craziest things. You're doing, what, 30 days? 30 miles? Yeah, 30 consecutive days. 30 miles a day. Yeah, 30 consecutive days. Barefoot. Running, traversing, running the length, the entire length of the UK. So that's um, 1,407 kilometers approximately. So yeah, it's... um, an epic journey yeah you know have you done anything like that before no but I, you know I, I i was in the army so I, i'm used to a fair bit of running and i and i run a lot barefoot anyway so that side of it has always been that's that's almost like a norm for me now and uh we got some goose and some chicken outside but yeah can you hear that yeah <laughs> it's great it, isn't it i think it's awesome it adds to the appeal yeah man so you're running 30 miles consistently uh 30 miles a day for 30 days yeah and barefoot so for people who don't listen or haven't heard of you before how do you encapsulate when someone walks up to you and sees you and says hey tony like you're a very interesting man you know you like you're barefoot you're running barefoot you're very healthy you're fit what is it that you do what is it that i do yeah as a as a being yeah as a being um, you can say it for work or just what you do in day to day. I think the being is part of it. So I'm, I just exactly. be, I just be. So I'm a Tony, um, but I'm a, I'm a natural lifestyle coach, which is really I'm a rewilding coach. But I come under this guise of the natural lifestyleist because rewilding, in a sense, is a bit like when you first see someone with bare feet and you go, "What the?" You know, it, it raises social extreme eyebrows. Yeah. Even though the behaviour is biologically normal. It just raises a socially extreme eyebrow because it just goes against what social norms are of today, right? Because what we've been doing is we go down this path and we have people talking about nutrition or digestion or sleep or movement, all these categories. But actually, it just comes under this umbrella of rewilding because what are we trying to do with our microbiome? We're looking to improve our microbiome. What are we doing to it? Oh, we're trying to get it back to its original state. Oh, I mean the wild state. Movement, let's say, and the expression of movement. Where are we going with it? Oh, we're trying to get it back to more natural movement. What is natural movement? Oh, it comes back to being wild movement. What we're naturally designed to move like. And the same with sleep. You know, we talk of sleep and then we look, ah, oh, there's a natural way of sleeping. What is the natural way of sleeping? Ah, oh, it's about rewilding again. We can look at um, the natural world of today and the natural peoples of the, of the world today to look at ways of living that are more in sync with our biological norm. And that's kind of where my, that's where my work comes in now. So with anyone from coaching, anyone from billionaires down to students, it, it works in that realm for me now. And with Mind Body Hoops, it's a similar thing where I'm talking to people about meditation and diet and, and ways we can help our bodies do things like barefoot training. It all kind of does, anything holistic does come back to that rewilding. It's cool that you... Uh, just by that almost brand shifting of calling it rewilding, that you found the audience that of people that are craving this. And I think that's why it's so cool. People are craving this, but when you put it in this way that says, well, re- this is normal, this isn't progressive, this is almost ancient. Yeah, it's a rebranding exercise, but at the same time, it's like, okay, how do we, how do we reach more people? Because as you say, people, they're in need of it. And to get into the city as well, because in the cities, like the corporate world, for instance, those people need it more than anyone. Right. The corporate is so disconnected and they're the people that are spending probably the most time 
in urban environments and locked in airtight buildings, you know. And people that aren't as familiar, one of the things that you say that I love is we can't always live in nature, but we can at least try to live naturally. Yeah, we can't all live in nature, but it doesn't mean we can't live naturally. And, right? and there's so many ways I can take this. So Go ahead, man. Talk about, about? I know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for you to help me here. So we can go in the direction of sleep, how you talk about how beneficial or how necessary it is. And then we can talk about the barefoot. You know, you're running for a month straight barefoot. And, and then we can talk about the sitting. And for me, when I came across you and the sitting... Um, and started to realize how that just affected everything and my, my body and how it, you know, folds me. And and just once I became highly aware of that, I really had this outlook, like how is so many people living in this way that is so unnatural to us? And, and now that I'm trying to step away from these things, I feel so much resistance to come back to natural because of how strong these set... Templates. Templates are. Mm. So... For someone who's looking at this, just, you know, they want to get in this world, where's like the first way we can dip our toe into the pool without jumping all the way in, if that makes sense? There's, there's no transition, man. You have to go out naked in the street <laughs> <laughs> with a bow and arrow and go hunting. That's what you have to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the first step for me is always, it's just looking out outside of what is a social norm. I think that's the best way to really start and to look at anything is, again, just to maybe look at the natural world and what what works outside of our box or look at what's happening differently inside the box, if that makes sense. Um, simple little steps, and I think it's to make it as simple as possible for the biggest impact, really. And you talked about chairs, so we can start there. Like, yeah, let's do what it. Is the, what are chairs doing to us? Um, I mean, everybody sits in a chair. What, what's wrong with the chair? Okay, so um, in nature... Um, Philip Beach, there's a, an example where so he's, he's observed a hundred different rest positions on the ground in the biological normal box, okay? In the socially normal box, we have chairs, office chairs, and we have sofas, right? In the biological normal box, we have 100 different rest positions. So every one of those rest positions is a micro-element of the macro-skill of being an upright human being. 100 different rest positions. Every one of those little rest positions feeds and nourishes the amazing athletic body of the human being, the sapien. Yeah. So if I remove all 100 positions <clears throat> and I sit in a chair, I start to then decondition that amazing physiology that was once navigating the most hostile environments. Right. So within our DNA, we have this incredible physiology that would have been traversing again really hostile environments that we observe let's say parkour legends or free runners and we go oh man they're amazing look at what they're doing we're so drawn to it aren't we and we recognize there's something within it that draws us in we're not quite sure and familiar what it is and of course it's something that we've all been doing at some stage just not on concrete we'd have been doing it in amongst trees we would have been arboreal there would have been and over landscapes amazing running animals we would have had all that so um but underneath all that, when you chip away at it, there's that ground practice that has fed that originally. So it's almost like um, motor skill milestones that you observe a child on the ground. Mm. And they go through multiple positions until they get to a squat. And then from the squat, they can stand up. Once they stand up, then they have everything else available to them. But we, we're always in such a rush to get them to stand up. And then we put them in car seats and in chairs and, and 
buggies and stuff like that, that we remove all those amazing nourishing positions that got them to the point of standing and we're already conditioning the chair. So the chair then becomes just, again, it's a norm. We're so conditioned to thinking it's normal because it happened so earlier and there's almost an emotional attachment to it because it got brought in in the first years of emotional development. So when we sit, instead of the joints understanding their mechanical role, which is biomechanics, um, which then means that I can't then understand the forces within movement, which is the kinetics, and it means I can't make the appropriate shapes, which is the kinematics, due to the forces. So if I sit, I get locked in the hip, I get locked in the ankle. And then gravity being our friend, suddenly I start to collapse and I start to get this slouching, couching posture that we're all familiar with. The head drops forward of a base of support. I start loading my backside that isn't designed for load in that particular shape. Um, and then when it comes to standing, it means already now I'm, I'm locked in the hip, I'm locked in the ankle, and now I need to move. And I'm trying to move from areas that are now locked that are normally incredibly mobile. So if, I like to look at it this way. So I think if there's mobile and stability roles within each one of these, but let's say the foot, for instance, the foot comprises of 33 joints, 26 bones, over 100 muscles, tendons, ligaments up to 200,000 receptors in the base of your feet that are feeding information to your movement brain to determine how many muscles and tendons you're firing and what the appropriate actions would be for ultimate efficiency and to minimize the risk of injury. Right? That's just the support of the foot. Incredible. Then you have an ankle joint that sits above that. So the foot is like a stable platform, but also has, as I said, it has some mobility and, and compliance to it. Like I'm demonstrating when I went running yesterday in the, in the hills over rocks, logs, root systems, boulders, doing downhill sprints, all barefoot. But purely because I now don't rely on the compliance of a shoe, my foot has relearned how to be compliant, but has also learned how to be stiff when it needs to be on soft surfaces. So it has this amazing ability, given the chance. Um, so then when that has a, has a stiff, um, when it has a solid foundation, being the foundations of any superstructure, the ankle joint then will understand its role of how to be mobile and in the ranges it needs to be. And then the knee joint, which can cope with 500 pounds of pressure, becomes stable. Then the hip joint can become mobile, but remember the hip also provides a stability role, like hip stabilization, but it can become mobile and stable. And then your pelvis and your core, this big core stability stuff we love talking about, can be stable. And then the mid-back, the thoracal spine, can be mobile. And the neck can be stable. So we kind of have this joint-by-joint -joint approach, if you like. Um, but when we get it wrong, we have this victims and culprits model. So if I alter the, the appropriate foundation being the foot or of any superstructure, you know, it could be building anything. I could look at architecture. If we alter the foundation and create a flawed foundation, it affects the superstructure, right? The role of that superstructure. So if I create like a, a compromised foundation, it means that that, that becomes a culprit and then the, the big toe within that will become kind of a victim. We end up with like poor alignment of the big toe. Then the knee joint becomes a victim. And then the hip joint becomes a culprit. And then the pelvis and the lower back becomes a victim. And it just keeps passing through. We have this culprits and victims model throughout that system. And between the footwear, which compromises the shape of the foot, and the chair, which compromises the hip joint, and the loading of the lower system, the lower extremities, between those two, that's what then would keep feeding a compromised, again, culprits and victims model. So if you want to play an athletic sport, 
which we're all athletes. We're, we're born innately as athletes. I think we also need to go that part of it. But, I love that point. Yeah. You know, but depending on the, cult, the petri dish that you're cultured into mm-hmm. will determine what kind of athlete you turn into. Whether you want to be a fear-based athlete that's plagued with injuries or whether you want to be a, a healthy athlete. The healthiest athletes on the on the planet, I would say, again, you look to the natural tribes of today because, again, they're just moving through a landscape, become a landscape, and their physiology is just incredible, you know? And they don't go to Muscle Beach, do you know what I mean? They're just, they're just incredible physio- physiological wow. specimens, right? Because, again, their foundations have been allowed to grow. Their ground practices have enabled all their joint actions to understand their roles, which means all their muscles and tendons understand their roles within their biomechanics. And then they have this incredible upright posture to deal with the shapes that they need to make due to the forces again. So they're like the ultimate athletes, you know. And so that's innately in all of us. It is there. It just, again, it depends on how it's nurtured. And, and the chair is one of those things that will compromise the way the athlete will behave and perform, yeah. as well as footwear. And it's once you become aware of that, I can see how it really does flip everything on, a, on its head. And, and I like that you touched on there is this emotional attachment to it where from anybody's earliest memories they're sitting in chairs just about and so you try to remove that from someone's life it, it throws up red flags or for me if I opt out of something it almost puts people in this odd situation where they're either going to label me as odd or they're going to have to reflect on what they're doing and it becomes this odd thing so but the encompassing thing is that to become this superhuman and have the super foundation and the super almost like a building you know you have to have your strong foundation um, you have to remove almost all the human things that are getting in our way so chairs are these human made shoes can you just start to remove everything and, and from that alone what do you think will naturally reset into how we're supposed to be or do we have to kind of be careful on this removing chairs removing shoes where do you start with all this it depends on where you are with this on the scale you know for some people that come to see me they're already on the journey so it's for me to say right okay just sit less mm. you know if you're if you're in the, let's say it's someone in the office um i went to santander recently i did a talk there and i went into their asset management team and it's just all desk like these massive screens everywhere and these guys are just like ah, you know i think we have a problem looking down at a phone and they've they got multiple screens going on they're all sitting air quality was terrible lighting's terrible just the worst environment for them to achieve being you know on their game precision flow states it's just the wrong environment for it but for me to go in there and just like no sitting yeah I've, they'd have to deal with a hr department you know totally they'd freak out to start with you and know my audience is you know uh students are people who work full-time jobs so it's like you can't just tell everybody stop sitting no so they get i think you have to take areas where you have responsibility right mm-hmm. so where do you have responsibility in your own home right so if you're if you're a Netflix binger and you love Netflix binging, then there's ground rest positions that you could be choosing. So you upload a shin box sit into a next next Netflix box sit, right? You know, just just try and think of that that you can blend things, mash them up if you like into the day. And then in the office environment, I think with those guys it was like, well, okay, I would if unless the HR department, if the HR department says yes, you can have standing desks, that's great. But again, if without rewilding the posture to stand, how you're meant to appropriately stand, that's just as bad as sitting with poor posture. Mm. You know, it's a massive thing that's come in as a trend, like walking treadmills for work, and people have a treadmill set up to get their 10,000 steps, right? 
but they're head chasing like this, which means it's yeah. totally detrimental to that posture. Yeah. And then they're going to put 10,000 steps through that because, oh, it's great. I'm getting, I'm getting my cardiovascular fitness in, you know, but it's not great because you're not honoring the physiological, technical foundations of walking. If you address that first, but then we wouldn't have ever through nature had a keyboard in front of us that would make the upper body rigid because walking's like a pendulum. Mm. So, um, Again, going, so going back into standing desks, if the HR department say, yes, it's great, I think then you have to strip it back and understand how to stand. If you have a sitting desk and HR department say no, then you set a timer at your desk. That's what I went through with the guys. It's like every 25 minutes, ding, timer goes off. Okay, I can slide my chair back. I hold the desk. I do a few squats and I walk from one end of the building to the other, you know, the floor where I'm working at. Then I go back to the desk. Then I'm back into work again. Sometimes that's not possible, not feasible if you're really in a state and you're like flowing, 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 flowing. Um, but then as soon as you're done, concentrations flip, just ding, go off again, do, do the work. It's just about trying to reset or reconnect with what would have been the, the macro state of standing again. And we need those little micro adjustments like the squat to get to standing. You can't go from a chair to standing and expect to move how nature intended you to move because you're locked in areas of the body that aren't designed to move. So that's a really small adjustment that everyone could be doing. But again, at home, <clears throat> just just from, just get away from the sofas and the chairs as much as you can. Yeah. Take things onto the ground. Like You can flip from one rest position to the next. Out of 100 different rest positions, it's, it's an amazing mobility class just to take that to the ground and have a play with it. There's no rigid form. It's just right, where do I feel comfortable? And the difference is that you get cues the body will cue you, you'll get like little signals to tell you, ah, it's a little bit uncomfortable now, what you're doing now, you need to move again, right? Whereas when you're sat in an office chair, you don't get a cue. People just completely exit the physiological building and it all becomes so cerebral up here and they're just in a screen, right? Mm. And then this just starts to go and go and go and go and they get, you know, gravity starts to play its role within that collapse of that structure. I love that. Because purely it doesn't have a foundation. The yeah. chair isn't a foundation. You're not designed to load your ass when you're sitting. You know? It's the same with the shoe that I've found is you remove the chair and you sit on the floor and you, like you said, I, when I get uncomfortable, it's my cue to move. It's my body kind of talking to me. With that, when I'm, I've been wearing these barefoot Vivo shoes for a while now, or four, different barefoot shoes and with regular shoes you can do any movement and you really don't feel it you're just taken away from your biological kind of feedback but with these I'm noticing so many bad patterns that I maybe had putting my heel down first or if I warm up with these basketball wise or workout wise movements I've been doing my whole life I put these on and my body just immediately tells me no it's super interesting to see you take take out these things and you just have instant feedback but it, it's that first step of knowing to even remove those yeah, it's almost like saying, you know, it's, it's almost forget about why they're here. You know what I mean? Just forget that because it's stuff that we've been sold along the path for years and years and years and years. Well, with shoes, running shoes, like 1969, right? That's what we're dealing with. It's the information that came in. And again, it's a commercial thing, right? That we need the more and more rubber you have, yeah. the better it's going to be because it will dumb down forces. We can't dumb down forces. It's still one body weight two body weight three body weight it's still the same body weight in the athletic sport just a piece of rubber and the rubber doesn't take away the forces all it does is mask the forces so your movement brain doesn't realize there's anything there it doesn't get the transient impact the signal in time to be able to change your shape so everything becomes a bit more sloppy yeah. and the problem with that is you have natural slings within the body that provide elasticity 
So let's say for an athlete, what's what's important, right? Muscles and tendons. Tendons are really elastic. I want to be, when I train an athlete, I want them to be really elastic. Like ding, 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 and have an amazing rhythm and timing. Mm. Not loads of muscle action. If I want loads of muscle action, I'll be teaching someone bodybuilding. Yeah. The bodybuilding shouldn't get into athletic sport. They can't run for a bus. Yeah. You know, it's because it's a discipline for itself. It's it's a it's a very different thing. Yeah. I know some bodybuilders that are incredible movers yeah, at the same time, but that's sure. because they've gone into the realms of movement. They they mm. they have maybe started off respecting movement and then crossing over into bodybuilding, mm. or wanting to go into fit pro or something like that. Yeah. And know that they need to be mobile and flexible and minimize injury again. Mm. Um. But bodybuilding, traditional bodybuilding, how it used to be, yeah, there wasn't much running going on there. Yeah. There wasn't much athleticism within it, you know? What kind of um, feedback do you get from just like the everyday people? Like for me, I keep touching on it. Every, <coughs> every time I seem to move more in this direction of being barefoot more often, sitting in chairs less, it's so easy for people to throw it away and put it in a box or label you as this and that. How have you, how has that came into your life and how have you dealt with external opinion and trying to face this thing where you have such great intentions and you just want to help people revert back to their human self to feel better and to move better and to live better do you get any weird you know looks do you get, do you get people giving you mixed feedbacks in terms of what you're doing it's interesting I, you know it's changed a lot over the years I think because I, it's just I live a life of authenticity again so yeah. for me I just live it and I'm not playing with it it's just ah okay that works for me and it works in nature and I know how amazing I feel doing it and I know how amazing others will be so the best thing I can do is be the best example of that for others to observe and how what other people think of you is, is none of it's none of my business right do you know what I mean that's that's nothing to do with me they can think whatever they like you know like on my flight for instance over here I fasted the whole flight, right? And I had my amber glasses on, so I'm dealing with the blue light spectrums, regulating my hormones, everything. Getting up, doing mobility sessions and squatting down the aisle. And then I'd sit next to this woman who was hugely overweight that had difficulty getting in and out of the aircraft seat, right? And we were in like the extra leg room section, so it was amazing. But, and every time they come over, they offer me something like food or whatever. I said, like, no, I'm okay. And this guy's like, are you sure? You don't want any? Should we get you something from first class? And I said, like, no, no, I don't know. I'm fine, man. I'm fasting. I'm okay. And it was such a difficult thing for the steward to get his head round, you know, that I'm doing, a, I'm doing an 11 hour, 15 minute flight and not going to have any food. I'm just, and water, right? And yet the woman next to me had like three meals. <clears throat> yeah. And they came around offering out Magnum ice cream. She had a Magnum. She had wine. And then she was like catching flies with her mouth open, like snoring at one stage. And it was just, I mean, I could judge that behavior, you see? Do you know what I mean? Mm. That's not where I'm going with this part of the conversation. I'm just highlighting that. So we could all view everyone's behavior differently. Mm. But again, it's none of our goddamn business what other people are thinking of us. All that we can do is be the best example of who we are as a human being, no matter what we're doing. Yeah. You know, and, and that's where I got to with this. I think becoming a parent for me was very, it was, it was an important transition for me because it helped me just see that I have to become the best example of a human being for my kids. And in doing so, I, I, I weigh things up and I just go, right, is it, is it biologically normal? Is it nurturing? Is it growth promoting? Or is it biologically extreme? You know? And if it's biologically extreme, I have to really have Meaning a... Meaning what? Um... Let's say, for instance, on that flight, the lady's behaviour next to me is biologically extreme. Mm. That's not going to nourish her cells, her mind, her microbiome, 
her energy, her frequency, any of that is not being nourished by that behavior. You know? Yeah. So that's where I go with it. Right, so I, so I, I just look at things that way, right? So I'd say, right, it's Friday night. What could I be doing? Oh, it's Friday night. Oh, okay, I'm going to go and do this. Or it's Friday night. I'm going to go and get smashed with my pals and get drunk, man, and do drugs and do this. And yeah, it's great. But what kind of example am I being as a human being? And why is that important? Because all the learnt behaviours that we're talking about, you know, it's all learnt in the first six years, those templates. And so everyone, everyone in the first six years, seven years of life are observing you, you know, and we're their tribe. We're their Petri dish, you know, for them to take those observations, that will become their norm. Mm. So for us to be an amazing beings and an amazing species as we grow and grow and evolve, we need people to be the best example of what that is. That's the kind of way I looked at it. Dude, um, being like the curator of so much truth and like talking to people like you and, and being, I, I really love my role of kind of bridging the gap between people who have never heard of information like this and making it more accessible. And, and especially in spaces where it's not easily accessible. But there is this times where, you know, everybody ebbs and flows and there's waves of I'm doing so well and then there's these waves of, you know, I'm falling off a bit. And it, it can be easy to, for me, to feel a little of that fraud complex if you know I'm having all these amazing conversations and say I walk away from this talk and in the back of my brain I could hear Tony saying get out of this damn chair get out of this chair but I, I'm still finding myself sitting more than I want so there is that that wave of fraud complex comes in so it, it's I guess what my question is once you came to the realization like I know what I need to do I'm not doing what I need to do how do you hold yourself accountable and just making sure like what were your cues to yourself what were the things that what, were, what was the ethos, the thought process behind stepping into, okay, I know what I need to do now, it's a matter of living it, like you said. Um, I, think the first, I think the first thing is to understand that it's all one, yeah? So, like, the, the low bits and the high bits, it's all one, because you all want to live up here, right? Yeah. <laughs> we want all the amazing stuff. Just, all it's all fun. And <laughs> everything's great, it's man. Flow, but without man. this stuff down here, you can't appreciate this stuff's great, because yeah. yeah? it all just becomes a norm. That's and it plateaus, right? So we always need those. You can't right? have it, uh, you got to have tens and fours. You can't have like And, you, seven, and we all need times. adversity. And I think it's adversity that enables us to go in and look at those original templates. And then I could then start to navigate and understand what it is I needed to do. But again, I think the first thing is just understand it is all one. It's all one thing. You know, it happens for you, not to you. You have to just go with whatever is thrown at you, it's all experience. Like you know? to it almost. Yeah, and, that, and that's where we could say it's like flow, you know, living in a state of flow. I love the idea of living in a state of flow, but you have to also then appreciate it's don't put the brakes on and don't try and push anything. Just, it is just one thing. Mm. It all is one. Okay. And to approach it calmly like that. Yeah. And those days when you wake up and you go, oh, man, this is just... Everything's just this, it's just this, it's this, it's this, it's this. And the moment you can go, you know, that's okay, because it's all just one, whatever it is, it'll be amazing. Then you can switch any moment, you know, you can turn anything round in that moment once you recognise it and just go with that. But actually, do you know what? I've seen the worst, I, could, I felt the worst I could possibly feel and what came out of that was incredible. So whatever's happening right now, it's nothing in comparison. Yeah. I know it's going to be incredible. Yeah. And what's worse than that? Death. 
but then we don't know how incredible things are over the other side of that yet. Do you know what I mean? That's true. I mean, this is hitting home, man. I lost a, uh, unfortunately, I lost a friend this past week, hit the lowest of lows, you know, in losing people, but then stepping away from it and, and almost like relearning how to find good things and good things. And then as things slowly get better, that, that idea of everything is one is, is hitting home because man, I, I hit some sadness this week losing someone and that's new to me. And, uh, but then you find when you have those glimmers of this is better, this is better, it makes those much more meaningful. And maybe had I not felt that contrast of sadness, that these simple moments and these simple sit-downs have a new level of meaning. And also looking at the friend that you've lost, that's all one experience too. Once we get to that space, it's very different because we understand actually that's all one experience too. As I say, we don't know where they are, what they what they're stepping into, what they what they're going through. Totally. That's all one thing at the same time. It's all one cycle. Mm. You know, it's a beautiful perspective. They might be having a, an amazing, beautiful experience right now. Do you know what I mean? Makes sense. Yeah. So I love to uh, break down kind of everything Tony does, and <laughs> it's going to be a whole. We could be here for six hours. I'm yeah, sure. I was going to say how long we got, man. Let's go like a very brief from uh, from maybe waking to sleeping. Mm-hmm. This is my like, you know, I wake up and I do this. Uh, at least maybe the highlights, four to five things that you do to kind of rewild yourself, and then a brief why on each. One. <coughs> so you don't have to go, you know, dive deep in each one, but you know, you, maybe you get your nine hours. Why? You know, you, you do this in the morning first. Why? And Should we start with sleep then? I guess sure. before the morning. Yeah, let's start with sleep. Okay. Um, so firstly, I uh, with sleep, I had to understand. Um, what sleep looks like in nature because everything we read pretty much every book you pick up about sleep or any expert that revolves around sleep is a viewpoint that's taken in the human zoo or the human laboratory so they have a sleep test in a laboratory to determine what natural sleep should be so let's just break that down you're surrounded by em waves You've got artificial light going on. They're usually rigged up with loads of wires, yeah? And they're in a strange sleep environment, sleep habitat with complete strangers that wouldn't be the tribe that normally would be associated with that would give them nourishing calm and the appropriate environment to sleep, right? Versus, let's go into nature and um, you're surrounded by a tribe that you've always known and always existed and you've all grown to have an emotional one collective emotion. Everyone's emotions, they're all linked somehow within that tribe because you do everything together. Um, you have um, fire in the evening, which creates an amber light, and the amber light is a really healing, nourishing light for you. It gives you just enough heat. Um, the temperature starts to drop down. It cools down at night, which then helps regulate um, hormones, but it also temperature also helps with melatonin, melatonin being a, what we call as a sleep hormone. Um, but it does far more than that. It's like an anti-inflammatory, super antioxidant, and it's um, anti-cancer properties. So if we try and then look at, the again, the natural state of sleeping, where it would be about nourishing the appropriate hormones that are needed for sleep and those amazing properties, like melatonin as well, so its role is needed for apoptosis, which is how you transform unhealthy cells into healthy cells which is where its anti-cancer properties come in. So without melatonin, that role is drastically affected, right? So if that's the case, um, in the laboratory over here, when we have bright lights on, and what I mean by bright lights is, is there's, a, there's spectrums of lights. There's a blue and green spectrum of light. Um, 
that your average light bulb will give off. And we know this true because we're, pre- we're prepped about this now, about mobile phones and iPads and devices, <clears throat> but we don't really consider the average light bulb. And it works out like this, that anything above, um, let's say, between 60 and 600 lux of light um, will, will suppress melatonin. So your eye will pick, your retina will pick up on it into your pineal gland, suprachiasmatic nucleus, and it will suppress melatonin. So all those processes we've just discussed will be affected by lighting. Um, so, so just and the average light bulb is anywhere up to 2,000 lux, let's say. So we're saying anything between 60 and 600 will suppress it. So just having lights on. Just lights on. Not even having a device in your hand, because devices now have a wash over the screen. That having will, lights on till bed is, is harming my melatonin production. Yeah, so then you're not really prepping yourself for sleep. And whereas in nature, when you go back to nature again, those guys don't have lights, right? They have the moon, the stars, and a fire. And the, the, the stars and the moon are about one lux, right? Okay? So, and then the fire doesn't give off blue and green spectrums because it's an amber flame. Mm. Um, and again, they don't have the counts of the diabetes, the cancer, the obesity, and things that come from suppressing melatonin so how do you um almost make as if you're in nature in well that's exactly what i'm going to go so that's what you do you basically have to say well what that's that's the, how do i create that right so basically you have to smash your house down right <laughs> yeah <laughs> not, not, put everything in a pile in the middle and set light to it that's and and chill <laughs> so these guys over here um this is this is the really important part okay so they um when you when they looked at three independent tribes of different geographic locations they notice something very interesting, that these guys aren't asleep for the whole night, right? So what they do is they, they go to bed. The, young, the elders go to sleep a little bit earlier, half nine, ten. And then the, el- the, youngers go, the younger ones go to sleep a bit later. The fire is always on, yeah? So the fire's always working, it's going. Um, they keep a fire going the whole time so it's ready in the morning for when they need it. And then throughout the night... They get up and they go back to sleep. They get up, they go back to sleep. So they reach that REM state, the really important phase of nourishing anabolic sleep, which helps replenish cells and do all those amazing things that melatonin's process is. And then they wake a bit and they go and tend to the fire, look after the young, look after their weapons, right? And they fix their tools and smoke even, right? That's what they're up to in the evening. Have a bit of partying, whatever, and then they go back to sleep. So on average, I think they're smashing in like 5.7 to 7 hours sleep. That's it. No one's doing eight hours. No one's doing this thing. And they haven't accumulated a sleep debt and they haven't accumulated any of the diseases that we're led to believe we would get by not getting eight hours. So the first thing I tell most of my clients and my entrepreneurs when they come in to see me is ignore this eight-hour notion that you need eight hours solid sleep, okay? Because it's too stressful. If you don't get sleep, then you feel like, oh, my God, I haven't had eight hours sleep. And then we create a story. But when I know the true story of how it works in nature and not in the laboratory, it enables me to calm myself a bit and say, ah, okay, it's okay for me to wake up and go back to sleep. But again, I have to create the same environment of the hunter-gatherer to be able to have the same outcome. Yeah, because they can get up the next day and bam, they don't need to hit the snooze button, they're just up. Yeah. Whereas if I'm over here and I've been staring at an artificial sun being a big TV and I have artificial suns going on all around my home and I've created sunrise at sunset by having all those bulbs on, then I suppress melatonin and I suppress all the processes of melatonin and then it's much harder for me to achieve 
the REM state, the really the rapid eye movement. Um, so it's really difficult to me to re- reach the depths of sleep that I need, sorry, the non-REM sleep that I need to be able to replenish cells. And you will find that the next day yet yeah, you have to hit the snooze button. So what we do is we just simply, you can replace the bulbs in the sleep environment. That can be from the lamps in the room that you have. Um, there's multiple bulbs out there now. One's by Aura Glow and it's just a remote control. Mm. You put a bulb in, it has a remote control. Bink, you can flick it to amber in the evening. Oh, the and, and with amber then, you don't have the blue and green spectrums in and then you're replicating the firelight that the hunting gatherer has over here. I would also recommend when you go to bed is to get the temperature of the room down at night. Um, and then, of course, it comes down to air quality. So the air quality is also hugely important. So in most modern builds or paint or paints or mastics or glues that go into um, the space that you're sleeping in, they kick out certain neurotoxins like benzene, xylene, and the furnishings of formaldehyde and carpets and things like that. So that, that stuff needs cleaning up. So you can get like an air purifier and you put an air purifier in the room and that will clean up like 99.9% of the particles in the room. You can also put plants in. So NASA produced a list of 10 top um, purifying plants, air purifying plants. Um, and then it gives you the what they remove. So peace lilies are amazing. They're really easy to keep. You don't have to water them for two weeks. You can go away on holiday, you come back, they're a bit droopy, you put a bit of water in, they come back to life again. Wow. And they remove benzene, xylene, formaldehyde. So that's no stuff you can do. And then you bring more living stuff into your bedroom environment, which means you have then something to look after. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then it's something green, which is incredible for our ancestral eye. It picks up something rewarding to do in nature. Mm. So they, they've done run studies on even nature scapes, like images of nature. And they will show them to people that are in a sympathetic stress response. You have sympathetic, which is fight and flight, mm-hmm. parasympathetic, which is rest and digest. They're in a sympathetic state. They show them a, a um, nature scape and they go into parasympathetic. So just by seeing nature, images of nature is enough to drop you into a restful, calming state. Wow. So by bringing things like plants in and images of nature into your bedroom, it's a much more calming experience. Mm. Altering the lighting will be calming, but it will also help regulate hormones. And you also want to be in a more rested, digested process to be able to sleep anyway than a fight and flight response, mm. you know, because it's... So I work with, again, lighting, air quality, materials that are in the bedroom, and then breath. So I have breath work that I do in the morning, but I do breath work before we go to sleep. So there's different systems of breath we can work with. Some will help downregulate, some upregulate. So in the morning, I might need upregulating. I might need something to get me going. Yeah. In the evening, I want something to drop me down again. So that might look like, um, <clears throat> right, you've had a really tough day. Things haven't quite worked out. We appreciate it's all one thing, as we were discussing earlier, but today, <laughs> shit was happening. <laughs> and I need to figure out how to get myself out of it because yeah. I'm going to go to sleep, right? Yeah. So the way that I, you can change any moment in a breath, if you understand breath work and how it works. So there's a really simple technique where you can be thinking nasal breathing, where... Um, <clears throat> you can be lying down, um, just one hand on your stomach, one hand on your rib cage. Think of ge- really gentle, smooth inhalations, rather like a. So not not charging a breath, but slow and smooth. And then the out breath, I want you to try and then make twice the length as the in breath. The out breath twice the length of the in breath. So the in breath might be. Out breath will be. 
out through your mouth is okay. Cool. Mm. Yeah, but not in through the mouth. Yeah, so try and get used to that in breath coming in through the nose. It can be out through the nose, it can be in through the nose, out through the mouth. But just try and get that nice tempo going. That's one method, right? How long would you do that for? Um, I think you need to be around about three minutes. The lightest of breathing. Almost and that's like really, really, that goes deep into rest and digest. Mm. Um, so it's a method I learned from Arthur, who's a breath coach that I work with. He's amazing. And he's one of Wim's disciples, one of Wim Hof's disciples, but he's really mastering a lot of breath work now. And that, you find your palms start to get hot and sweaty and you produce more saliva. So that I recommend, not just for, not just for bedtime, because it rests and digests. So even before mealtime, start to think about prepping the digestive system as well. And the reason you're getting saliva there is like digestive enzymes and saliva coming up, right? So that's, that's something I would recommend for sleep. So sleeping, air quality, lighting, breath, temperature in that environment. Um, the other thing is to avoid... Right, so imagine we're, we're in nature again. We're around the fire, okay? We're, we're going to have two scenarios now. Everyone's around the fire, and I've got my elders there, right? And all the elders are there, and they're like, ah, in two minutes' time, this crazy tribe's going to come in here, and they're going to um, come jacked up, and they're going to stab some of us, and they're going to shoot us, and we're going to do all this crazy stuff, and I'm going to be open to all this inter- terribly toxic information. And then I'm going to expect to be able to go to sleep afterwards, Right? around the fire versus just amazing stories like tales and nourishing information again stuff that is almost like of a dream world let's say mm. tales and and, stories, and yeah. stories right and that's where weaving stories came together so we can we can flip that so netflix comes on right do you want to be watching avengers before sleep right do you know what i mean <laughs> because to us we perceive that it's it's just a cinematic experience, but parts of your brain are still perceiving that there's, there's some truth to it. Mm. So just avoid the toxic stabbing, shooting, crazy information or fear-based information that can come through the news before you go to sleep. It's yeah. the worst thing. Yeah. Instead, you know, even stick on some kind of positive vibes, positive affirmations before you go to sleep. So you've got positive information coming in that you would have experienced some people being around that fire and around that tribe of a positive experience. That's that. sleep. I love that. Then when I wake... How do, uh, real quick, how do blue, the blue locker glasses kind of help for some people watching TV before bed? Do they eliminate the artificial sun completely or do they just help mitigate the... Oh, no, they do. They, basically, they take away the blue spectrums of light, but they, remember, they can't take away the toxic information. So it's like... Yeah. If you're so if still, you are going to watch TV, put on some blue blocker glasses, but make it some peaceful... Yeah, watch something like, that's... Something exactly. Or even something about the planet, maybe. Like our yeah. planet or something like that. You know, there's still some trauma in there, but at least you're, you're um, seeing nature again, aren't you? So blue blockers, yeah, I think they're amazing. There's some great brands out there, you know. Swannies are great. I've been working with them. And they look quite cool. Whereas some of the stuff I used to wear, it was like... <laughs> Yeah, we're getting better. Yeah. My wife would say, "We're going out in those, are we?" <laughs> <laughs> in that tone, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so then that's there. Yeah, that's that. And then waking. So I wake um, because I'm up really early. So I write in the mornings normally, but I go to sleep at nine. Right. So, yeah. So I'm asleep by nine. Cool. And then I usually get up at five. Um, I pandiculate like a cat. 
Which means what? Uh, so, um, <laughs> yeah, so rather than stretching, stretching's like, you know, it's really, if you notice cats, they do this thing where they, you know, they reach and everything ripples up and then, yeah. so they're not actively doing cat stretches, they're just doing this, it's almost like everything's being elongated, so mm. it's like a rippling effect that goes through the body, so I just have a move in the bed and I articulate my joints and I move, and then I lay there for a moment and I just, you know, I just have a moment of gratitude that I've woken that day. Mm. And then I, and that's important, I, I, I make my bed, you know, make the bed immediately. Um, I go through then to our living area and I get straight on the ground and start doing mobility work. I do a range of movements, help open up the hips. Um, some scorpion patterns that are about extending through the hip and the mid-back, so stuff like that. Um, down dogs, bridges, stuff, just mobility. Mm-hmm. Simple little flexibility, a little bit of movement. Um, and then I get a meditation cushion and I do 100 cycles of breath. Mm. A bit more upregulating, so it's just a different tempo. 100 cycles. So one cycle being... Mm. <sighs> so it's a bit, just a bit more of a charge compared to the evening. Mm. And one cycle will be represented in an in and out breath and do 100 cycles. 100, okay. um, and, then we've and then I do like a cold bath. So I do a cold plunge yeah, after that. Nice. And how's the uh, is the breathing pretty? It's helpful in waking your body up, kind of that almost the Wim Hof like oxygenation. Am I getting that right? Yeah, you are. You're getting oxygen on board, but I think just the I think it's just again it's it's about the mind. I believe more than anything for me. It's before anything else gets in, mm. that's and then I can guide my day rather than that. So it sounds yeah, you're anchoring yourself right away. Exactly. And you do some writing. And then I and then I get in the cold tub. When I get in the cold tub, the idea is to be the water. So I kind of stay in there until I am the bath. And then when I move, ah, I'm in water. Do you know what I mean? So mm. it's like only when I, if there's a little, if there's, if there's a little movement in there, then I appreciate. Ah, oh, I'm in the water now. I remember now. I'm in the bath. So I try and just really just calm the breathing. Just remain super calm in the bath. Wow. So it doesn't feel cold at that stage. It just feels yeah. like I'm there, present. So that's kind of my breath work. Then I sit down and do a bit of, um, I do I write, so I try and do a thousand words. Mm. And then... Um, typing or writing? Typing. Nice. And then, I, and then I prep a smoothie. So I do a smoothie in the morning. And then I, then I go out of the house, man. I get to, my, get to my studio and start coaching. Yeah. That's kind of the start to it. I'll wrap it up with my, uh, my favorite last question. I'm 24, Tony, and uh, I get to do this podcast and I get to be selfish and I get to learn from legends like yourself, man. Um, assuming it was all one, as you said, and there's no mistakes, everything's happening to you or happening for you. There's no mistakes, but given where you are, if you could look back, put yourself in 24-year-old Tony's body, what's a piece of advice you would give your 24-year-old self? Relax. Just relax? Just relax, man. Yeah. Exactly that. Why would you say that? Well, because we, we put ourselves under so much stress and we worry and we do so much that basically we'll either put the brakes on or confuse that state of what should be one being in flow. Well, it's just relax and almost sit back and enjoy the experience of it all. You know? It's okay to experience. Is that something you struggle with at that age? Or you um, just wish you grasped it a little more? I wish I grasped it a bit earlier. You know, because I think it's something that really is much easier to get a handle on when you're 40. You know, you're much more relaxed. It's like, ah, oh, whatever, you know. 
it almost feels like yeah, yeah, I'm, I've seen it, man. Do you know what I mean? There is that feeling. And I almost wish um, I had that kind of father figure on my shoulder saying that, do you know what I mean? Because I think it's very valuable that, that, you know what, again, as we said, it's all just happening for you, you know? Everyone who comes into your life, everyone who moves out of your life, every little niggle, every little experience is all just so perfectly aligned with the way it needs to be for you at that particular time. You know, it's all so precise. When you really understand it, it's just, the universe is just so precise, man. And it's the most, it's the most patient form of teaching, in a way, like consciousness. We're going into the mind element of mind-body hoops now, but um, the consciousness itself is probably the most patient teacher there is. And it will keep showing you things and keep showing you things and keep showing you things and keep going and keep going until one day you see it and you go, aha, okay, I get it, okay, and now you're ready to move on. And some people, they get seen, they see it once and they get it and they're off. Other people, it might take 10 times to see it. (laughs) But that's the way it is. But that's amazing at the same time because actually both end up at the same destination but guess what? You've experienced 10 times that of the person that came before you. Do you know what I mean? I'm one of those. I have to basically go through it over and over and over again. It had to happen to me that way. And then eventually I was like, aha, mm. now I get it. But guess what? I've gathered all this experience along the way. So had I known that, it would have been much more relaxing to enjoy all that experience, the 10 times of the experience along the way that others I could see progressing or things happening for them earlier. You know? Do you know what I mean? They almost cheated in a way. They were giving it too early. Do you know what I mean? They missed out on all this stuff. That's the way you need to get to. Yeah. It is, I think that's a great piece of advice for someone my age. Everybody at my age is, everything's future-based. Everything's, what am I going towards? What am I... Well, also, but also wanting things now. I want it now. I want it now. Sure. And it's all about the long game, man. It's like, there's a client of mine, he's like, he's 70, he's a film producer, Stanley. And um, he's, when he turns 71, he says to me, you know, Tony, he said, now I'm in those years. And he related it to golf and he, and he called it the first nine and the back nine. And he said, I'm in the back nine now, you know. So the first nine, it's like you think you're all the time, whereas now I'm in the back nine. Savoring a little more. You know, and he just said, you know, you just, you just sit back and you're going to enjoy the back nine a bit more, mm. you know. I'm not in that 70-year-old state, but... It, again it resonates you know you just say oh, okay we want every we want everything and especially now because everything's delivered so quickly to us but again you miss all the valuable experience along the way all that stuff that's that's the journey man that's the point we're so obsessed by the where we need to get to that we we miss the actual highlights of the journey getting there you know it's like driving going on an amazing car ride or my run from Land's End to John O'Groats and dressing myself in bubble wrap and cushioned shoes and looking down at the ground, whereas I'm going to run pretty much naked with no shoes and I'm going to be running with my head up like I'm meant to with my chest up and I'm going to take in every bit of that experience. It's not going to be a physical experience for me. It's going to be a physical, social and spiritual experience where I get to, I get to feel everything I'm doing in that moment. Tony, that's amazing. Mind anything- body hoops. Is there anything you want to leave us with? What's your... Well, mate, what we started with, man. We, we can't all live in nature, but it doesn't mean we can't live naturally, you know? I love it. And if anybody can just intuitively connect to that message, I recommend they do. Tony, I'm going to link everything up. 
share everything with everybody. Cool, man. I appreciate it. You're a wise man. Thanks, man. I needed to talk. Great to have you here. It's been on, on the rug. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Super. Thanks for listening, people. Thanks again to Tony for hopping on the podcast. And again, guys, do me a small little favor, please. Leave me a review on the Apple iTunes app. That helps me so much. Uh, Thank you, guys. Send me your feedback, how you like the podcast. That shit is my favorite. Send me a screenshot of you listening if you want me to repost it. It's a cool way to spread awareness of the podcast. Um, Shout out to my my beats guy, Justin Jones, hooking me up, making me sound good. Um, And yeah, if you guys are interested in starting a podcast, me and my team have helped a few people launch their own. It's been really cool in helping people get their message out there. Feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions about that. Love helping you guys, uh, you know, take the next level in whatever you're trying to do. So thank you guys. See you next time. Peace.